Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Thank you for joining us again. You're welcome. Great to be with you, Kyle. It's always good to have you. And we always like to start with the Angelus. Do you have an intention for our Angelus today? Well, you know, today's the Feast of St. Nicholas. Mm -hmm. So why don't we remember in our prayers in a special way all the poor and needy children throughout the world? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail, Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Nicholas. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode of Truth and Charity, Bishop Kevin Rhodes talks about the patron saint of children, St. Nicholas, whose feast day is today. And in the spirit of St. Nicholas, Bishop Rhodes answers questions submitted by students at Fort Wayne's St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Catholic School. Afterwards, it's on to another feast day that's approaching, the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. If you would like to submit a question for a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, joined by our bishop. And uh, in a moment, we'll be taking some questions that were submitted by listeners. Uh, before we do that, today, you mentioned, is the Feast of St. Nicholas. Uh, what all do we know about St. Nicholas? Of course, the true story of Santa Claus mm -hmm. uh, begins with St. Nicholas. And he was born in the 3rd century. He died in the year 343 A.D. So... He was a bishop, and he was a bishop in the diocese or the, the city of Myra. And that was located in what is today, I think, uh, modern-day Turkey. Okay. The information that we have, of course, he lived during the time when the Roman Emperor Diocletian was in power. Mm -hmm. And it was under Diocletian that the church, there was such a severe persecution of the church and so many martyrs mm -hmm. and a lot of them are famous we know their names you know uh, who died under when he was emperor so he was quite ruthless and bishop nicholas being a bishop of the time really suffered a lot for his faith he was exiled he was imprisoned 
But when he was released, he was able to attend the Council of Nicaea, that great ecumenical council in the year 325 AD. Mm -hmm. And as you know, it's at that council that from that council that we have the Nicene Creed, sure. which we recite every Sunday at Mass. So it, I think, you know, to think that St. Nicholas was there at that council. Anyhow, a lot of these stories about St. Nicholas or about his life and deeds have captured the imagination. There are a lot of legends about him. But what we do know is he was renowned for his generosity to the poor mm -hmm. and his love for children. Those would be prominent aspects that made him so popular. And also his concern for sailors and for ships. Huh. That's probably lesser known, but he is the patron saint of sailors. That's why you'll see a lot of chapels and churches dedicated to St. Nicholas around seaports over in Italy and Sicily and places like that. Okay. Um, so anyhow, he's, he's really a beloved saint. When I have confirmations, most confirmations, there's someone who chooses Nicholas as mm -hmm. their confirmation name. Yeah. Uh, did you ever put your shoes out on the Feast of St. Nicholas when you were a kid? Yes. Um, that was something. I don't remember. I think it was when I was an older child that, that they started doing that. I, I'm not sure that my my parents knew about that until later. And, yeah. Um, but I know later as a child and, and my younger sister, too, and that we would do that. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you would recommend families do? Oh, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's during the season of Advent. It's, uh, it's good during the mm -hmm. season of Advent every day to be preparing for Christmas. And I think on December 6th, it's a good day, especially for parents, to talk to their children about St. Nicholas and help them to understand how the, the true story of Santa Claus began with Nicholas. It's interesting that a man who is known for his help of the poor is associated with Christmas, which is a time of giving and things, but has turned into such a commercialized holiday. Uh, how can we focus back on that uh, charitable aspect and, and not kind of get caught up in the consumerism? Yeah, and the materialism of our culture. I think one thing is to be mindful of the poor during mm -hmm. Advent and Christmas. One concrete suggestion that I make to, to people is make sure that you give a gift to the poor at mm. Christmas. Maybe someone that one knows who's poor. Or maybe a charitable gift to one of our charitable Catholic charitable organizations, to St. Vincent de Paul or even some parish soup kitchen or, or whatever. Uh, and I know a lot of people do that. And I think to teach the one's children to do that as well to be mindful of the poor and what what they're going to give to the poor. Because, of course, we celebrate Christmas. Christ was born in poverty. Are you familiar with the connection that he has with pawn shops? Is that the story with the dowries? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I've always thought that was interesting because, first of all, I think it's interesting when businesses have like kind of a, a logo, like a barbershop has that pole, you know. I've, I kind of noticed these pawn shops having... Uh, a lot of times it's like three gold balls or circles hanging. And then I found out that that ties in with St. Nicholas and that these pawn shops might have originated as helping poor and things. Now it seems like they, they may take advantage of the poor sometimes. But uh, that tie-in of the, the three, uh, he, he gave money for the dowries of 
three young women. Yes, and and uh, I don't remember if they were sisters of the same family, perhaps. But he gave the money because at that time, that was expected. You know, uh, the father, the family, had to provide a dowry to the the future husband. And I guess the young woman's father, he was very poor. And I think it was a poor man with three daughters. Mm-hmm. So if they didn't have a dowry, they would unlikely ma- be able to marry. You know? yeah. That's how it was at that time. And sometimes they could be even sold into slavery without dowries. So that's why when Bishop Nicholas provided the dowries for the poor man's daughters, the story goes that a bag of gold appeared. And then this, there's the story that that bag of gold the three little bags of gold were said to then have been tossed through an open window and landed in stockings or hmm. shoes that were there at the fireplace. And um, that led to the custom of children hanging stockings or putting shoes out for um, candy or whatever. Uh-huh. So anyhow, St. Nicholas is considered, you know, a gift giver. Um, so it's th- these legends are fun, yeah. you know. Uh, he's also he's a patron saint of a bunch of different things: bakers, brides, grooms, travelers, and the the things that you mentioned as well: children and the poor and uh, sailors. sailors. Why all of these things do you think associated with Saint Nicholas? Obviously, the the kids and the poor fit in with his story pretty well, but some of those other things. Some of them are more associated with later stories or legends. Okay, and um, but you know that's fine because yeah. there's a good moral you know a good message that's communicated in some of these stories you know and and saint nicholas is is buried in a basilica in the city of bari in italy Hmm. uh that i and i don't remember if i shared on the story what happened when i visited that um that basilica do you recall kyle i don't remember i was um i was working in this is my first summer as a seminarian in rome and i i had a summer job at the heel of the boot of Italy. Uh-huh. And it was great because no one spoke English, so I was really immersed in okay. Italian. But anyhow, after towards the end of the summer, a buddy of mine, another seminarian, we were going to backpack through Europe on a Eurail pass. And we were headed, actually we were over in Greece where I visited relatives, but we got off the boat and we were planning on going on this train all the way up to Austria. And after we got on the train, which was in Brindisi, I had this strong urge, this strong thing, get off the train in Bari to visit the Basilica of St. Nicholas and pray at his tomb. Now, this messed up our schedule. But I said to my friend, I said, you know, I don't know. I feel like we got to get off this train and go pray at the tomb of St. Nicholas. And I was really pretty organized, so it messed up the the plan because we did it. Yeah. And had to find a place, you know, youth hostel or whatever to stay that night and get on the train the next day and continue back up to Austria. Well, the next morning when I got up, I saw the news. The train we were on had been bombed and 80 some people killed. Um, No. And the train, when it had um, stopped in Bologna on its way up. That's when it was attacked. But, you know, there was some terrorism going on back then. This was 1980. And it was a fascist group who did it. So, I mean, I was just so saddened that that happened, that terrible Mm -hmm. loss of life. But then I always think, why did did I get off the train? 
you know yeah. i feel was it my guardian angel was it because it was just very odd that that i would do that and often when i think of saint nicholas i think about that because my friend and i could have been killed mm -hmm. you know um with all the other innocent people so i mean that's a true story that always stays with me that um it just doesn't what would i say humanly make sense you yeah know, like i wouldn't have what gave me that urge to to get off that train and go to to saint nicholas basilica so you know these things are mysteries in our life yeah i don't think it was a mere coincidence i really don't and i of course remember all those innocent people who lost their lives in that attack does that happen very often to you where you have some kind of instinct or urge to do something that doesn't necessarily make sense to you but it seems like god's calling you to do something like that not really okay. i would say no not often i can think of maybe a couple a few times but no that this was very unusual for yeah. me in my life yeah well, sometimes I guess you just have to trust what God's called, especially something that seems like a positive thing. Stop at a church. Right. That, that seems like a very selfless thing to do. It wasn't uh, stop and get a hamburger or something. Right, right. <laughs> and the fact is, you know, why I, I think back, like, that urge, that inner urge that I had to pray at the tomb of St. Nicholas, I mean, and, and disrupt the travel plans. Yeah. You know, and um, it just wasn't typical for me to do that yeah spur of the moment changing the schedule all right well that is fascinating i'm so glad you shared that story yeah. uh, we've got since this is the feast of children yes we've got a bunch of children who have asked questions today instead of our regular callers and and people submitting questions so uh, whenever we come back we've got Bishop's response to questions submitted by students from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton here on Truth and Charity, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and Bishop is going to be answering questions that have been submitted by students from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton here in Fort Wayne. And our first question comes from Olivia. My name is Olivia Davis. I'm in fifth grade, and my question is, why is the Vatican City in Rome? Thank you, Olivia. Well, you know, the Vatican was the name of the hill in Rome, even before St. Peter ever got there. Hmm. And on that hill that was called Vaticanus in Latin, Vatican, there was a cemetery. There was also what's called a circus that's a kind of like an arena and that's was called the circus of nero right next to the cemetery hmm. and that was a bad emperor named nero roman emperor well anyhow when saint peter came to rome he was crucified he was martyred crucified upside down in the circus of nero and then taken to, right to be buried in that cemetery called the Vatican so it was only in later centuries that the the big church the Basilica of St. Peter was built on at the Vatican when they leveled the hill and they built the church over St. Peter's tomb and then later even then that whole area became the property of the church and it became an independent country 
that is called Vatican City. Is that cemetery still there? Well, yes, that's under under St. Peter's okay. Basilica. They've right. done excavations, and you can see tombs that predate St. Peter, mm-hmm. you know, early pagan tombs, and then also Christian tombs from the time of St. Peter, because sure. Christians wanted to be buried near him. So you can see, you can go, and you have to get special pass to go in and see the excavations. Really interesting, under St. Peter's Basilica. And even in some of those tombs, there's still, these are like rooms that they would build. It's called a necropolis, a city of the dead. Oh. And um, there's still artwork in that, uh, frescoes that are still, you can still see in those tombs from from back in the first century. Wow. All right. Our next question comes from Pete. Hi, I'm Pete Allen, and my grade is third grade. And my questions are that, is it nervous to be in front of all that people? And, like, do you remember everything you say? Oh, thank you, Pete. You know what? I don't get nervous in front of all the people. When I was in high school, I would get nervous sometimes in public speaking. But... I think by the time I got to college and and all that, I kind of overcame that nervousness. So now I'm not nervous at all in front of a lot of people. But you know, Pete also asked if I remember everything I say, like uh, in homilies and stuff. No, I remember. (laughs) I think sometimes I forget, but um, you know. But I remember some. Yeah, I usually remember the important points. Do you usually memorize your homilies or? Do you write them ahead of time and read them or kind of deliver some off the cuff? Or It depends. Okay. Uh, sometimes I have a written text. But when I do have a written text, I'm not like bound to it. You uh-huh. know, I have it in front of me. It kind of gives me some extra confidence so I don't get off track. Other times I don't use a text at all. Or sometimes I'll just have a key, few key talking points like an outline. It often depends on the congregation and the type of mass it is. Like let's say I'm doing a big chrismas or something i'll have a text you know i want that to you know but other times if i'm having masses at some of our schools and that i know well what i want to say but i don't have a written text do you get nervous if you're addressing the bishops at a usccb conference you know that's good i probably would yeah (laughs) yeah i think a little nervous the hardest group to preach to are your peers. Right. I, I mean, even from early on, you know, when I had to give a talk or, or preach to, to priests, that would probably bring a little anxiety. And I think I'd have some of that, too, a little bit when I get up and to my brother bishops. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from Alex. I'm Alex Schenkel, and I'm in sixth grade. Which high school has the coolest chapel oh alex (laughs) what a question that's a good question i think all of our four high schools have beautiful chapels it's really hard for me to choose one as being the coolest um but each one kind of fits the personality of the school Hmm. kind of the the culture of the school like saint joseph high school chapel in south bend has stained glass windows and art all about the life of St. Joseph. And it's just just a beautiful place to pray. And I would say the chapel at Marion High School in Mishawaka is is dedicated to Mary, 
the Queen of Peace, and Our Lady of Lords is their patron. So that's kind of a special closeness to Mary. And then in Fort Wayne, Bishop Dwanger High School, that's very new, and it's the largest of our high school chapels. Mm-hmm. And it really is beautiful. Mary, Queen of All Saints. And then the new chapel at Bishop Lors, the patron saint of Bishop Lors is St. Francis of Assisi. So it has art that's associated with St. Francis, including a beautiful painting of the San Damiano crucifix, the crucifix that that spoke to St. Francis. So so really, Alex, it's hard. I, I can't pick one. I would say they're they're all really pretty. You're not taking sides here. I can yeah, see what's it's happening. like saying who I want to win in a football <laughs> yeah, game between right. our high schools. I got to be very careful. <laughs> All right. We have another question here. This one comes from Braden. My name is Braden Shank. I am in fourth grade. What was your favorite Beatitude? Braden, thank you. The eight Beatitudes. I hope all of you in fourth grade are learning the Beatitudes. Really, I would say the first because it's the most fundamental. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's where holiness begins, to be poor in spirit, which means that we recognize humbly that we need God and that we're dependent on God for everything in our life. And that's the spirit we're all called to have. We look at Mary and how beautifully poor in spirit she was, and Joseph, and how we're called to have that humility, that we know that we're creatures, and that God is our creator. So that is my favorite beatitude. I had somebody point out once that the beatitudes kind of build on each other. So the first one is a little bit more foundational, and you kind of then move up to the next one. Exactly, exactly. Because really, when you think about, I forget which of the saints was asked, I think it was St. Bernard, was asked once, um, what are the four greatest virtues? And he said, he answered, humility, 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 and humility. (laughs) So it really is fundamental, being poor in spirit, being humble. Well, I've had a lot of these questions that they've been asking myself, including the next one, which comes from Jade. My name is Jade Boltmeyer, and I'm in fourth grade, and my question is, what is your favorite flavor of gum? I don't think anyone ever asked me that question, (laughs) Jade. Um, I think I like, let me think about it, probably spearmint gum, because... I remember that would be my favorite gum when I was a child, Hmm. and it probably still is. I don't chew gum a lot. Um, Be sure to brush your teeth all the time, Jade and children, because, you know, I've had a lot of, I have so many fillings, I don't, you should see. (laughs) And, and, uh, but now they have sugarless gum. So Mm, if you chew gum, chew sugarless gum. All right. Well, if you have a question, you can ask it by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll ask more questions submitted by listeners right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. 
Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here asking questions that have been submitted by students from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. And our first question for this segment is from Michael. Hi, I, I am Michael McCarthy, and I am in first grade. And my first question is, why did they kill Jesus? Oh, that's a very good question, Michael. There were really two reasons. The religious leaders at the time didn't like Jesus. They didn't believe that he was the Son of God. And so they were very angry at him. And they accused him of a sin that we call blasphemy because Jesus was claiming equality with God. But of course, Jesus is God. So that was one reason. So they wanted him killed. But they also didn't have the power to put him to death. They had to go to the Roman authorities, to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate washed his hands and said, and condemned Jesus to death, not really for religious reasons, but more for political reasons. He said that that Jesus claimed to be king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And um, so those were the two main reasons that they killed Jesus. They, uh, they hated him, and yet Jesus loved them. And uh, so that's the reason. Thanks, Michael. Michael also has a follow-up question to that. My second question is, why did Jesus forgive our sins? Uh, you know why? Because he loves us so much. When we're sorry for our sins, he always forgives us. And, and really, mercy and forgiveness, that's part of love. You know, Michael, if someone hurts you and then they're sorry, and you love that person, so you forgive them. And that's the same thing. Jesus loves us and forgives us. All right, our next question comes from Clara. Hi, I'm Clara Burns. I'm in seventh grade, and my question for Bishop is, what age did you know that you wanted to be a priest? Thanks, Clara. Well, you know what? The first time I remember that I thought that God might be calling me to be a priest was when I was in seventh grade, Hmm. just like you're in seventh grade now. And it was that year that I was confirmed, that I received the sacrament of confirmation. So that's the earliest that I thought that I might want to become a priest and um, that God might be calling me to be a priest. It was only years later when I was in college that I, I really knew that this was my calling. Were you studying something else at the time or were you thinking about seminary at the time? Um, oh, I was thinking about seminary at the time, but I was studying. I was also thinking of other things. So I was studying political science. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thinking of getting into politics or law? Probably law. Okay. Maybe politics, but law. Yeah. Primarily. All right. And we have Public another... Public service. Yeah. yeah. We have another question from Diego. Diego Nino. I'm an eighth grader at St. Elizabeth Ancient School. My question is, what got you... Or what inspired you to become bishop? Thanks, Diego. You're in eighth grade. I look forward to confirming you and your classmates this spring. Diego, that's a difficult question because becoming a bishop is something that I didn't think about 
So I was really not inspired to become a bishop because it's really a, a call or an appointment from the Pope. So it really surprised me. Now, of course, I said yes to the call. And I think what inspired me to say yes to that appointment by the Pope was that it was another way to serve God and to serve the church, kind of in a bigger way, to be responsible for a whole diocese. All right. Well, if you have questions, you can ask your question by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have more questions from the students at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here asking questions that have been submitted by students from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Fort Wayne. And our next question comes from Anna. I'm Anna Parent and I'm in eighth grade. How can we become more open to confirmation? Good question, Anna. I think one of the things is to really be reading about and studying about what confirmation is and to be learning more about the Holy Spirit. So I really recommend uh, reading passages from the scriptures about the Holy Spirit. And then another thing that could be really helpful is every day to pray that beautiful prayer, come Holy Spirit, and to pray it slowly. I pray that prayer a lot. And um, it's a way to prepare for confirmation because you're saying, Holy Spirit, come to me. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray, come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. I mean, it's a beautiful prayer to say. But I'd say, you know, Anna, to really meditate on the meaning of confirmation and reflect on each of the seven gifts, wisdom and knowledge and understanding, fortitude, counsel, piety, fear of the Lord. I think sometimes we're so busy, especially also at your age and confirmation just creeps up, but to really in the coming months, maybe just take five minutes and and maybe think about some of the things you're learning in your confirmation text that you're using and maybe you know read a paragraph and really internalize it and i think that helps you to become more open and ready for the gifts and ready to be sealed by the holy spirit at confirmation i also say all the candidates for confirmation should try to get to confession before your confirmation like in the week or two before Mm -hmm. so that you're also sure of being in the state of grace because that makes you even more open to receive the gifts that god gives you at confirmation do you think you were ready for confirmation i think so when you were confirmed i remember we were really i mean it was back in those days it was a pretty rigorous preparation i remember we had 50 or 60 questions that we had to memorize the answers because back in those days, especially in religion class, a lot of memorization. Uh So it was a hard work to prepare. I also remember 
the beautiful music like we were really trained for weeks and weeks before the confirmation mass in singing beautiful hymns hmm. in both english and latin and um you know i remember to this day the bishop walking down the aisle and the magnificent music so yeah we were it was a great day i remember it. i have photos of it that kind of remind me of it as well do you have any suggestions for somebody preparing to pick out a confirmation saint or maybe they already have but there's still time to switch it yeah. anything to to think about or consider when picking a saint i say get a book of the lives of the saints you know that have maybe little short biographies mm -hmm. and start reading them and see which one that attracts you the most which one inspires you the most it's a great opportunity in that year or two before confirmation to be reading the lives of the saints and then to really give it some good thought because mm -hmm. you want to have this kind of becomes your a, a special patron a special friend in heaven a special intercessor so yeah i recommend that yeah and remind us again your confirmation saint john the apostle john the apostle yeah and do you invoke him very often i do as i do yeah i i, I mean he was a great theologian i mean his gospel soars mm -hmm. in theology which is why he's he's represented as an eagle but also he was the beloved disciple you know he was the one who was next to jesus at the last supper uh, rested his head on jesus's breast he was also the one who was there at the foot of the cross uh, next to mary mm -hmm. and it was to him that jesus entrusted his mother yeah i do i have a special devotion to saint john the apostle and evangelist yeah. his his feast day is december 27th which is always nice just two days after christmas yeah all right and also a reminder for all of us to to be praying for those that are preparing for confirmation as well our next question comes from devereaux my name is devereaux miller i'm in 2a my first question is what is your favorite sacrament my favorite sacrament is the one that you're going to receive for the first time this year in second grade, Devereaux, the Holy Eucharist, because it's the greatest of the sacraments. It's the sacrament of sacraments, because Jesus becomes truly and really and substantially present under the forms of bread and wine. And we can receive holy communion every day we can receive that great sacrament of christ's love every day and uh, it's an amazing miracle that takes place in our catholic churches that bread and wine ordinary bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of christ so for sure it's my favorite sacrament it's kind of our food for our journey to heaven it's what gives us the spiritual strength we need as we go through life on our way to heaven. Do you remember your first communion? Vaguely, mm -hmm. vaguely. I remember, and, and you know, I look, I see, again, I have pictures. So the <laughs> photos kind of bring it back and bring it back to mind. I remember confirmation much better, mm -hmm. seventh grade, but I do remember it being a joyful day. All right. Uh, we have another question from Devereaux. What is your favorite subject? Devereaux, my favorite subject is history. <laughs> I love theology too, don't get me wrong. Maybe I should say theology and history. <laughs> but history 
has always interested me. You know, I mentioned how I was majoring in political science, but I might have changed. If I wouldn't have gone to the seminary, I might have changed it to history. Hmm. I just love reading history. I love good biographies. I like, I mentioned reading the lives of the saints That's and their history. The history of the church in the United States, for example, I find really interesting. As far as American history, I, I have a special interest in that period of the founding of our country, the the Revolutionary War, and then the that whole Declaration of Independence, the development of the Constitution, and the first presidents of the United States. I, I've read a lot in that area. I read, mm. love reading biographies, good biographies of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. Just this past year, read that biography of Alexander Hamilton. Learned a lot in that. I don't get a lot of time to read, but but that's really. And I do like even beyond American history. I do enjoy, for example, European history as well, and and uh, Latin American history. Would you ever be interested in seeing Hamilton the musical? Yeah, I mean, I would. It'd be interesting to see. I don't know much about it, but um, I know, uh, you know, I learned a lot about his life. Yeah. And the, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they put it into a play. Do you have a favorite historical figure that is not Catholic? Well, none of those founding fathers were Catholic. Sure. I mean, Abraham Lincoln wasn't Catholic. I, that would, I'd have to give some more thought to that. Um, mm -hmm. um, who would be most inspirational to me um, from those, especially thinking about early American history. I think the first uh, presidents were all very fascinating. I mean, they had their flaws, obviously, but um, yeah, I, I, I'd have to think about that more, Kyle. Sure, sure. All right, well, we have one more question. This one comes from Joe. I'm Joe Allen. Um, I'm in 6B, and my question is, is your seat comfy? <laughs> Joe, I presume you're talking about my my seat in the cathedral. I think that's probably what you mean. And uh, for you and your classmates to know, the bishop's chair in the cathedral, the chair that only he can sit on because it symbolizes the authority of the bishop uh -huh. as the leader of the church in our diocese. So it's a seat. It's a and the the word in Greek and in Latin. Both, it's the same in Greek and Latin, for seat or chair is cathedra, cathedra. So it's the bishop's cathedra. And that's where we get the name, the word cathedral, mm -hmm. because a cathedral is a church that has the seat, the cathedra of the bishop. And is it comfy? I almost forgot that <laughs> part of your question. Um, it's it's okay. Yeah. I, I um yeah, it's it's not like you know something that you lounge in or anything like that. It's a pretty straight chair, but but yeah, it's comfortable. It has some cushion on it, I think. Yeah. So when other priests are saying mass and you're not there, they they can't sit in that chair. Right, they can't. Okay. So if you see any do that, let me know, Kyle, and I'll call yeah. them in. <laughs> if, if somebody's getting a tour of the cathedral and they see the chair. Are they allowed to sit in it to try it out, or is that also... Yeah, they shouldn't really... Do, I don't think okay. they're supposed to do that either, no. Okay. How about the other chairs in your life? Your uh, office chair? Uh, do you have like a lazy boy at home when you're watching sports? I do, yeah. I have a uh, very comfortable chair that I don't really get to use too often, but but it, yeah, that I can watch TV in, uh -huh. and it, 
it goes back you know yeah every now and then if i'm watching a football game or something i'll enjoy sitting on that chair all right one other thing before we go is uh, a feast that's coming up december 8th and that is the feast of the immaculate conception uh, we've got several churches named after the immaculate conception uh, what does it mean for us in this diocese that feast day well, it's the patronal feast of our diocese, so it's a great feast that we celebrate. It's actually a solemnity. Mm -hmm. Solemnity is the highest ranking of liturgical feasts, and it is a holy day of obligation. So I remind all of the listeners uh, of going to Mass, the obligation, and it's a joyful obligation to go to Mass on uh, Friday, December 8th, and you know, it's a way to show our love for Mary and our gratitude to God for giving us this woman as our mother. Of course, what we're celebrating a particular aspect of, of Mary, of the mystery of the Blessed Virgin Mary on December 8th, her Immaculate Conception. Some people get confused and think that Immaculate Conception is referring to the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. That's mm -hmm. not what we mean. That's the virginal conception of Jesus. But the Immaculate Conception of Mary is the conception of Mary in the womb of her mother. And it's celebrating the fact that she was kept free from all stain of sin from the moment of her conception, from the first moment of her existence. What a gift of God's grace. You see, because God knew he predestined her to be the mother of his son. So he kept her as the pure vessel to be the dwelling place of the world's savior through the merits of Christ that are foreseen by God. So we celebrate the sinlessness of Mary, the purity of Mary on December 8th. And of course we recall as we'll hear in the gospel on December 8th, the greeting of the angel Gabriel, the archangel, to Mary at the Annunciation, he said, Hail, full of grace. She was so full of grace, there was no sin. You know, full of grace, full of God's life and presence, no stain of sin. So she was kept free from the stain of original sin. We can call her the purest honor of the human race. So everyone, I encourage to celebrate the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Go to a vigil mass the night before, December mm -hmm. 7th, if that's easier for you, or sometime on December 8th. I'd also point out, not only is the Immaculate Conception the patroness of our diocese, but also of the United States of America. Hmm. So it's a good day to pray for our country as well, to ask for Mary's intercession and for our nation. One of the things I always think of with the Immaculate Conception is St. Bernadette, oh, yeah. who when she saw Our Lady of Lourdes, Mary appeared to her, she said, I am the Immaculate Conception, which my understanding is she was young and simple and wouldn't have even really understood what those words meant. But whenever she said it to, I forget if it was the priest or the bishop, uh, that at the time we we're kind of debating over this terminology, uh, he understood completely what that meant and was amazed that this little girl yeah. yeah i mean because she was uneducated and when she asked the lady what her name is and mary said in in the dialect of of uh 
of that region of France when she said, I am the Immaculate Conception, and then Bernadette repeated that to the priest. It was really astounding. It was one of those proofs that, yeah, this was authentic because this little girl wouldn't have known that, yeah. that expression. So, yeah, so you often see in images of, of Our Lady of Lourdes in the grotto those words at the base of her statue saying, I am the Immaculate Conception. Yeah. All right. Well, once again, want to thank you, Bishop, for taking the time to, to meet with us and share a little bit with us about St. Nicholas and answer questions that the, the young people of St. Elizabeth's asked. Could we get your blessing before we go today? Yes, and a special blessing to all the children at, who've asked questions, all the children at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Catholic School. Thank you for those wonderful questions. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Join us next Wednesday at noon for an all-new episode of Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.